So there's a reminder that you want the Buddha points out as our highest possibility is is more like an elimination or deconstruction or getting rid of or not not doing particular actions and states of mind and attitudes. It's not really about uh, having a, uh, a final state, you know, like a state of happiness or a state of calm or a state of well-being, uh, either internally or externally. You know, it's not, we're not supposed to have a kind of happy world. It'd be nice, uh, but I wouldn't hold your breath. Um, but we're looking at reducing the kind of the sense of the disappointment and the craving and the bitterness and the blaming and the punishing and the depression that occurs around uh, uh, the way things manifest in the world, in your senses. You know, I mean, as it's kind of often people would like to find some sense of uh, unity or a unified state of mind or, or even like a unified community. Yeah. And sometimes they ask this, ask this to the Sangha, could you be a nice, unified, happy community so that we have something to believe in? <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it comes and goes. You know? <laughs> uh, you know, because people are going through what they go through. And uh, yeah. people come and go and Obviously, there are difficulties and problems, just as there are everywhere else. So we take refuge really in our in our response to the experience of of life. It's it's always changing. It's always differentiated. It's always green and red and black and white and blue and yellow and near and far and big and small and fat and thin. There's no such thing as everything being the same thing. So then mind compares. This is better than that. I wish that could be like this. Mm-hmm. This is what the thinking mind does. It's a differentiation system. The consciousness itself is always uh, experiencing itself as being involved with the sights and sounds and touches and tastes. And it's the, the mind... Uh, consciousness starts to differentiate. This is 
bigger, this is smaller, this is happier, this is less happy, and so forth. It's like it's always forming these kind of um, um, these readouts of our life. And yet you look at something, you know, how big is big? Is an elephant big? Is it big as a as the moon? Is an ant big? How big is a big ant? You know, big is just a relative statement, isn't it? There's no such thing as big, ultimately. You know, this very planet itself, which seems so enormous, is, is so infinitesimally small that you, you wouldn't be able to calculate how small it is in terms of the universe. The known universe itself is only, all we can know of it is about 2%. They say we can, we, can, we can conceive of up to 4%. There's 96% we've got no way of reckoning at all. So even the, the, the size of, you know, the vastness of what we can perceive and conceive is still only a tiny bit of what's out there. <laughs> so it does make you seem rather small. <laughs> and yet, comparatively speaking, human beings are rather large creatures on the planet. How big is big? How small is small, how near is near. And yet around that sense of differentiation, the mind creates these things as, and then you get this feeling of it, it should be another way. Or you feel disappointed, it's not happier or warmer than it is. August is now August, now we're getting August and now this good Disappointment. I feel comfortable when I feel disappointed by the weather in England. I'm used to that. August, finally, we've got a nice, rainy, grey August. <laughs> this kind of July being blue and radiant just didn't make me feel very at ease. I'm not accustomed to such things. I'm not disappointed enough. <laughs> it shouldn't be as good as this. So it's kind of me- the measuring mind. Mm-hmm. And you see how you know, the mind is always struggling to make it uh, better than it is, you know, in some way or another, comparing and saying it should be another way. And we kind of contemplate that, what happens, because uh, obviously on one level, things are, are very different. We can't all occupy the same space. We can't all, you know, we, we, there's this differentiation is an experience. So and around that sense of differentiation, we feel a sense of comparisons. Who's best, who's worst, who's highest, who's lowest, who's smartest, who's be- most beautiful, who's this. Am I as good as, I'm better than, I'm worse than, am I the same as, this kind of thing, this agitation goes on you know, for people. Yeah. You want to look at that. Because on one level, there's differentiation. And then when your mind, then you're emotionally you pick that up, we can feel disappointed, sad, you know, jealous, craving, uh, dumped on, lower, then feel angry, feel frightened, feel insecure, because things are different. It's differentiation. It's emotional charge. Who's got the best monastery in the world? 
Ours is the best monastery in the world. No, it isn't. His is. Because it's got more people in it. No, quantity is not important. It's quality. It's important. Well, who's got the most loving people? Loving's not. Who's got the strictest people? Who's got the most austere, strictest, and yet loving, as well as wise <laughs> and compassionate and accessible, but also silent, mysterious? That's the best. You know, so we can kind of do that sort of thing. And this only says, Chittas isn't the best, anywhere near the best. Nowhere near the best. It might even be somewhere near the worst. <laughs> oh, all these years of trying to make it, trying to make it the best, and now it's not the best. <laughs> In Dhamma practice, it, it's um, and you see the way the sangha operates. It's often it really creates very strong boundaries. You know, things we definitely can't do set us up, that we we can't follow we can't have so around that boundary the thing we can't have you get a good amount of craving so if you can't eat food in the afternoon you get how wonderful it would be you see the sense of craving that comes up around it mm-hmm. or if you can't have intimate relationships with other people sexual relationships the amount of craving coming around that or the emotional feeling coming around that Oh, it was so nice if somebody was just there for me, listening to me, being with me, comforting me, and so on. How wonderful it would be to have one of those wonderful, intimate relationships with another person who's there for you. But you look around, you feel, look around, and you can imagine this to be the case. Then you ask married people, it must be so wonderful. Oh, don't tell me about it. Oh, so-and-so I live with, fed up with him. He never listens to me. (laughs) She's always nagging. These <laughs> kind of wonderful intimate relationships. When you don't have them, you can sustain the idea that they're there. You know, so you get this amazing kind of fantasy. And I guess for the lay people, they can have this fantasy about the sangha. It must be so nice being in a monastery. It's all tranquil and quiet. You don't have to deal with any issues. It's all peaceful, totally chilled out people. And everything's laid on. It must be so blissful. And you're going, God, you know, it's been a rough week. Uh, when you live in it, so you kind of project these things on the other side of the boundary. How wonderful it could be. So you find it's about the same, really. <laughs> because, because it's people with minds. <laughs> you know. But you create these boundaries so you can witness what your mind does to it. What your mind does around that. How fantastic uh, you know, a Mars bar can seem when you can't have one. Yeah. And then when you've got to be in one place, you know how marvellous it must be to be somewhere else. So you get tied down. These boundaries kind of come up. And then we get strong sense of differentiation in the Sangha. We don't, we just kind of, this were lined up terms of the, the buses, the number of buses you spent, in terms of the the, uh, the, the, the orders, like the bhikkhu order is senior to the nun's order, so there's a difference there, and then the precept thing, the ten precepts, the eight precepts, if I line them up, the differentiations, 
And around those differences, you can create enormous amount of stuff can happen about uh, feeling lesser, or if you're at the top, you can feel everything depending on me, you know, I've got to carry it all. If you're down the bottom, nobody listens to me. Um, it must be so wonderful at the top. At the top, you think it must be so wonderful down the bottom where nobody cares, nobody's looking at you. You can kind of sit there in your own little muddle and nobody expects very much of you. It must be nice. Or it must be nice just to be an ordinary old lay person, just slopped around with everybody else with no particular position at all. So you don't have to get into this this line-up experience. But the point of it is to actually see what your mind does around these these boundaries, around these differentiations, because it's what you want. Differentiation is what happens in life. You know, everybody's slightly different heights and sizes and attitudes, and uh, there's no two people the same. Here we make that a very strong points. We're not expecting it to be the same. You don't expect, even though we're all wearing the same kind of robes and stuff like that, you don't, you know, you're really differentiating so you can see what your mind does around it. And you find out uh, how, of course, everybody's remarkably different. And is uh, is and who's better? And the Buddha said, "Well, this is this kind of judging things like that. That emotional judgment, you can say on one level, just a pure discrimination through the mind. You can see things are different. It's the emotional stuff that happens behind that that's not necessary. Yeah. So we can see from the senses, you can see that things look different. People are different. People are in different lines and stuff like that." Men are different from women and so on. But it's the emotional things that go on behind that that you don't need. This is where we have to be very clear. Because some of these emotional attitudes are very strong and reflexes. And first of all, the first one is that uh, one is better than somebody else. Somebody else is weaker, uh, less intelligent, um, less attuned, less sensitive, whatever it is. You're somehow, you've got it and they don't have it. And that, that feeling can come on. It can be actually patronizing or, or quite, you know, or, or contemptuous. But better than. And experience the, the or you, the other one can be worse than. Either don't get as good a chance, don't less have a lot, less opportunities, um, um, not as strong, not as intelligent, not as pr- approved of. I'm definitely in lower position. That's what I am. Mm-hmm. And another position is we're the same. We're all the same. Everybody's the same, really. We're all kind of basically all the same. That's the kind of one that people like because it seems less less difficult than this better, worse. But actually, that's also a problem. Now, if there's a sense of being better than, then immediately there's some kind of, uh, there's going to be stress involved in that, isn't there? Because, you you know, you always got to prove you're better than. If you adopt that as a position, you're better than, you've got to keep proving it, that you're better than, or 
come up with better stuff. So you're always trying to, you know, raise your game or come up with the quickest remark or the most intelligent presentation or the most beautiful picture or the greatest food or something. You're better than, you know. So you've got to keep doing that, and that's stressful. Because sometimes the mind, when you look at it, actually sometimes the mind is good and sometimes it's not so good. You know, it's better than it's worse and it's happy and it's, you know, my mind goes from stupid to intelligent to middling to dull to bright. Sometimes it's better than, sometimes it's not better than, actually. So once you get this kind of emotional program that, that, you, that you've got to be better than, then you set up suffering and stress, along with whatever other attitudes one can have towards other people from that position. Of course, if you consider yourself as worse than, that's also suffering and stress, isn't it? You feel fear, fearful, intimidated, lack of confidence, um, you know, uh, and then you start to see everything in that light. And these colorings then affect everything because the quality of the the emotional uh, quality of mind has a sort of suffusive global sense. That is, when you feel sad, the world looks sad. It's not one bit of it looks sad; the whole thing looks sad. When you feel angry, you just feel, you know, you just feel a world of anger, and you start to see all the things that make you feel angry. When you feel sad, you see all the things that make you feel depressed. When you feel nervous and insecure, you see all the things that make you feel insecure. You can't be, you know, um, sort of angry in one corner and happy in the other corner. <laughs> it's just kind of, it's a suffusive experience. So, and then it projects. You know, so. You know, that, that sense of, of feeling uh, irritated, we see it projects as, you'll make me irritated. The, you know, whatever I see makes me feel irritated. I remember all the things that make me feel irritated. I see all those aspects of other people that make me feel irritated. I pick them up. And they're all true, in a way. But what we do, what it does, is it means at that time we don't notice the things that don't make us feel irritated. It's rather like, you know, when you look up in the, in the sky and see all those stars up there, and if you're an astrologer, you can look at a certain number of them and say, oh, that's the plough, or that's Orion. You know, you choose eight stars and you line them up and say, that's that. But actually, then, you know, they're not there. And yet they are. There are those eight stars, but there's eight stars in a, in a sky of potentially billions. And yet you pick out eight and make them into a pattern. It's a constellation. And that's what our minds do. We take particular salient features of something, you know, eight, eight particular characteristics, and say, that's the way that is. That's the way he is. That's the way she is. You take certain points. And that time, you don't notice the other bits. That's what the mind does. It, it selects. So when the mind is coloured with ill will, we, the mind finds the irritating aspects. When the mind is flavoured with fear, the mind finds the fearful aspects, the things that make me feel insecure. And when the mind is, is flavoured with craving, I see all the things that seem good and attractive. I don't notice the things that don't. And when in these 
So in these boundaries of restraint help us to see the colorings in our mind because we can't act upon them. You know? We have a, a code of non-violence and non-abuse and non-verbal abuse, non-physical abuse. So if you don't do that, you have to recognize the, the irritation or the ill will in the mind, oh, the colorings of it much more fully. You have to take responsibility for that. When you can't act upon um, gratification instincts, you have to notice and be more conscious about those gratification instincts, which you don't notice when you can follow them. So your hand goes out, picks up a biscuit in your mouth, you know, make a cup of tea, swig it down, which a telly on. Don't notice it because react to it so quickly, don't actually see that 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 flavour of the of 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 craving gratification. Mm-hmm. So these boundaries help us to to notice what's there in our minds. These restraints, these delineations. Yeah. And certainly in terms of uh, uh, monastic communities, one of the big ones is it really strengthens the sense of self and other because we're all having little positions. We have to sit in our seats in a little place. I've been through periods when I thought, I wish I could get out of being up the front there. like just sit any old where. I have to be in that particular place. So I'm, you know, there. And uh, and often it occurs because we have this lineup in terms of, of of you know how many years or even months you've been ordained. You have to be sitting next to the, the same person. Sometimes you sit next to the same person for a year or two, and around that you notice all the things that annoy you about this person. <laughs> how he eats his food too loudly, or he sniffs in the meditation sniffles. Really, you kind of want to kill him. <laughs> this is inappropriate. <laughs> Why is it like that? You know, <laughs> suddenly you get the, you know, just being put against that. Whereas normally, you think if you if you could, you you, you know, you'd sort of find another place. But in in this environment, you have to sit there and feel that and be with that. That sense of what happens around differences. Eventually, all you can notice about this person is that they sniffle or they eat their food in, loudly. You don't notice they keep the precepts, they do the chanting, they turn up every morning. All you notice, here comes sniffle. <laughs> it's, it's quite bizarre, the passion. And I think I got my first real, you know, the dose of this was my first few weeks of ordination. We had to go arms round and arms round. You go in a line. You can't just straggle out any old how. It's always the person senior goes in front and you're lined up. And that's the way you're supposed to do it. Even if you're just one day senior, even one hour senior, you go in front. So the person's behind you. And they, they've got to follow along. So you're walking, they follow. This immediately is a source of conflict. <laughs> because you, he walks too fast. He walks too slow. He doesn't go in the direction I'd go. He doesn't know what he's doing. He's an idiot. He's not being very mindful. Of he wouldn't walk so fast. 
If he's not being very mindful, otherwise he wouldn't be going this way, he'd be going that way. Why does he have to take us down a, a, a rocky path? Well, it's a nice path over there. There's where all the donors are. Go down there. The idiot can't see this. Blind fool. You know, you've got to follow this idiot who's completely heedless. You know, shouldn't even be ordained in the first place. <laughs> so, you know, uh, and then for some reason I was, you know, I was the first, monastery I was at, I was the first one of a group to be ordained. So I was the, I was at the top of the line, you know, there'd be two, two, two other monks behind me. And I was happily strolling along, doing this arms round, thinking I was being mindful and so on, and, you know, restrained and doing all that. And then I came back from the arms round, I think it was just a few weeks after it, and this monk behind me says, I'd really like to just to kill you with an axe. <laughs> and it's all to be done was walk. With no conversation, nothing to disagree about, just walking down a road together. And so, you know, and you can see that the frustration and tension builds up over over um differentiation, you know. Over and this is a person who obviously, you know, make a big commitment to living a life of purity and, uh, you know, hardly a thug. Probably never killed anybody. But that instinct coming up, and this is pretty shocking when you experience it in this life because you, you don't go forth in order to kill people. Um you know, you generally go forth with a sense of enlightenment, transcendence, purity, kindness, serenity. Yeah, you say, yeah, but, but this idiot's getting in my way. <laughs> He's stopping me being serene. <laughs> These people who are stopping me being enlightened because they're not doing the way things they should be. He talks too loud. She talks too loud. He talks too much. He doesn't talk enough. You know, enlightenment's when everybody's just really, you know, everything's really nice. And I feel it isn't actually. You know, enlightenment's when you you stop that. You get to that edge of feeling the differences, feeling the differentiation, and you don't get caught in it. You sense well, he's definitely taller than me. But does not mean anything about better, the same or worse? Um, she's more smiling than me, but doesn't mean it's just that, you know. And you don't have to keep projecting these um, fears, inadequacies, depressions, jealousies, judgments onto others. See the differences. Differences are just differences, and you, you, you the, but the the emotional flood that comes after it is unnecessary it's the emotional flood that comes after it and that's what we want to know about because that emotional flood is what's getting in the way of enlightenment
And it's really interesting when you, you think, you, you know, you take away all the irritating things, all, you know, you take all those irritating things away and you find you're still getting irritated. You know, because now it's not, if you're on your own, you feel irritated about, you remember something that makes you feel irritated. Or the roof drips, that makes you feel irritated. Or the birds sing too loud, that makes you feel irritated. Mm. Or your own irritable mind makes you feel irritated. <laughs> you know? And it swings like that, doesn't it? Or we're craving. You know? And then you think, I really want to kind of find a nice place to be quiet, peaceful on my own. So when you get somewhere and you feel bored, you start to read something, study something, you know? And you want to do more. Then you find you're no longer quiet and peaceful. Your mind is agitated. So the craving and the, and the irritation, these things are they're, they're embedded in the heart. And uh, our practice is, is actually taking a firm stand against those. So you want to see them. And, uh, you know, that's what austerity is about, what renunciation is about. It's giving up the options. So we can't keep shifting the goalposts. So you have to see that which wants to keep shifting things, that which wants to keep changing things, make it more like this, less, more like that, more like this, more like that. Then it would be all right. You know, that pushing, pushing, shoving, shifting. You want to see that. Mm-hmm. This is the obstacle. And then in a world of differentiation, we don't have to make judgments of better, say, or worse, or the same. Now you might think, well, surely if we all thought we were the same, that would be the end of conflict, wouldn't it? We're all the same. We could say, you're the same as me, we're all the same. Everybody is equal and the same. Wonderful. Now there's no more conflict. That's it. We're all the same. But that's a tyranny, isn't it? I don't want to be the same as you. (laughs) Because that... I'm not. Now, if you want people to be the same, then you start getting disappointed by them being different. So, we say, you know, in a monastery, surely we all think the same thing, we all have the same ideas. And if I, this monk thinks it differently, he's uh, schismatic, he's uh, wrong views. So you can get this kind of endless uh, sense of, of pairing away. Conform, that's conformity. Conformism. Everybody's we think the same, agree on everything. F- feel the same kind of uh, sense of uh, 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 happiness about teachings or about aspects of vinya. And you realize all these things, different, different traditions hold slightly different standards here and there about 
uh, what particular meditation techniques they use, um, what particular aspects of the training they emphasize. And you think, well, surely the Sangha is about everybody being the same. No, it isn't. It's about acknowledging the differences and not creating splits and fragmentation over it by saying, well, you know, you can be different. And instead of that emotional flood of judgment, there'll be the sense of kindness, sense of celebration of, of you can be your way, I hope that works for you, real goodwill and equanimity. You don't have to be the way I want you to be. You can be the way that works for you. I don't have to agree with you on everything. I can see that you think differently and look at any feeling of frustration or disappointment around that and stop doing that. Stop doing that. You think differently. Okay? You see it differently. Perhaps we all got together we could finally discuss it to get exactly the same set of ideas. That's what we should do. Get it so that everybody, you know, got the same way of thinking, the same attitudes, the same perceptions. That's what we should do. I don't know how long you've been around <laughs> before you begin to kind of get the sense that no, it doesn't really happen that way. Because of karma. Because everyone is an individual, there's this sense that everyone is inheriting particular specific causes, effects that have happened to them in their lives. Uh, Everybody slight, forms slightly differently, different perceptions, different attitudes, different memories, different associations, different ways of conceiving things. It's not going to be the same. What there can be is a sense of non-contention, non-judgment, non-contention. Yeah. And it creeps things kind of mysterious. We don't really have to be that razor-sharp clear about uh, judgments or opinions or ideas. You just know this idea, if I hold on to it too tightly, causes me suffering. All the things that are differentiated are differentiated. But we don't have to hang on to them. So it's just a thought, just an idea. It's an opinion. It's a view. It's the way I am. Mm. It's like this, but it doesn't have to be that important. So this kind of gives you the sense in which the, the self or the, our apparent self in Buddhism is neither totally affirmed nor totally denied. It's as a relative self. We don't make a big thing out of it. Therefore you can let it be the way it is with its own distinct idiosyncrasies because you're not really expecting that much out of it or basing yourself upon it or really making this a big cause. You know, how it's got to be liked, approved of by everybody, you know, you know seen as good. It's just this, you know. 
it's just a, it's just a form in the universe, and then we start to get this sense towards others and towards ourselves of let it be like that, just don't make a thing out of it. And now this is really where we can find a kind of a, a unity or a congruence in non-attachment, non-contention, non-identification. And so then the Buddha said, if you, for those of us who really seek this quality of rest from contention and conflict and judgment and agitation, this is the place to go. Mm. Acknowledging the differences but not backing them up with this emotional current of praise, blame, criticism, adulation, adoration, you know, demonization. Or you go through that process. I think one of the one of my friends, one of a senior monks, said, "Well, with his." Uh, um, Trainees, disciples, they go through, roughly speaking, in a few years, they go through three stages. First stage is adoration. You know, this is the teacher, he's going to sort things out for me, the wonderful, he's so sorted, he's the rock like, you know, everything he does is humorous, funny, clear, intelligent. That's the first stage. Second stage is demonization. <laughs> Third stage is called normalization. <laughs> Oh well, okay. He's doing what he's doing. Good. I'm doing what I'm doing. Good. <laughs> Working with these uh, these ways we can kind of project these absolutes onto others. You see, okay. He's working out his karma. May he be well. May he work with that. That's fine. There's inter- things that in- that I see he does that actually cause me inspiration. I'll pick those up. Things I find disappointing. I I can look at what's happening around that. You keep aware of these things. And think, how much do you have to judge and know? How much do you have to keep kind of making people up in your mind? Creating people in the mind, remembering them in your mind, carrying these projections and perceptions in the mind. How much do we have to do that? How crowded and painful it is. We have to keep carrying whole tribe of people in their mind complaining about them and adoring them <laughs> wishing we could be with them when we're apart from them wishing we could be apart from them when we're with them <laughs> trying to figure them out think we figured them out why don't we just empty it out you know these are just the spirits of differentiation and you know don't get involved with it all where does it cease? It ceases in non-contention, non-fascination, non-projection. And when it does, when you do that to the world around you, something in yourself, something in your own experience starts to open into an undifferentiated quality. Sense of the mind not forming, not creating. Hmm. So this is the way, the process, the path towards the uncreated, unoriginated. And this is the, what the Buddha said. When you, this, he called it, my mind has gone to this dissolution of the undifferentiated. Hmm. This is what he was pointing to.
offer this for your reflection.